Before we begin our second season, we wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the current political moment. To start, we want to state for the record that we both strongly support Black Lives Matter. We also want to be clear that we both take it to be an uncontroversial fact that we live in a white supremacy. This isn't a controversial term in academia, in particular when it comes to critical race theory. It's used to refer to the way that our world is structured, namely that society is built to favor white people. One reason that people resist the term, I think, is that it sounds like we're saying that society is a compilation of white supremacists as though secretly in our hearts, we actively wish for the dominance of the white race. And that's a very psychologistic way of looking at things and is just inaccurate. Acknowledging that we live in a white supremacy doesn't have anything to do with everyone secretly actively wishing for the oppression of non-whites. In fact, part of the problem is that to white people, the ease we have compared to other races is invisible to us. We don't even notice it and it seems normal. And just a quick word about privilege. That's not to say that everyone who's white or a man has it easy or is automatically successful. This is a common misconception. We have positive associations with privilege where often you'll hear people use it in a sentence like, oh, it's such a privilege to be able to do this thing that we're actively grateful for. And so I think part of what trips people up about privilege is that it's not a thing we're registering and that's part of the problem. What it means is because of your identity, you have had the fewest impediments. That's just a better way to think about it. And it's hard to register because what you don't see is how many more impediments everyone else has because of their gender or their race or their sexuality or their class or their disability or whatever. To begin to reckon with the fact that we live in a white supremacy, we have to be able to question what we see as normal, to question a lot of what we take for granted. That involves a lot of listening, a lot of reading, a lot of watching YouTube lectures and documentaries. We don't have one or two things to unlearn. We have to reorient our sense of the whole picture. That also means questioning which stories we tell and how we tell them. A lot of what we do on this podcast is about questioning the history of male-dominated stories, which mainly relegate women to secondary characters. In the last episode of our first season, we talked about Spike Lee's 1986 film, She's Gotta Have It, and our discussion included mention of the white gaze, which is just as important to keep in mind. Our Western canon has long been held up as significant in part, so the story goes, because it offers a timeless universal insight into what being human means. The problem is most of those stories are about white men and that becomes a problem when we start to see whiteness and maleness as the essential humanity because other stories seem less universally relevant. How often have you heard a man say, oh that's a story about a woman, I wouldn't know how to relate to it. Meanwhile, I've never heard a woman say the same thing about a story featuring a male protagonist. What we need to do is question what we find easily relatable who seems quote unquote, easily likable, and to stretch our imaginations beyond what we take for granted as universal and essential. Women and people of color need to be able to see themselves represented in narratives as protagonists. But just as importantly, white people need to see more narratives with non-white protagonists, and men need to see narratives about women and non-binary people. Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen. And I'm Lisa Anita Wagner. And together we are She's gotta have it! Exclamation mark. It's very right. exciting to see you. Actually, it's a good I call. know it's exciting to see you too. Oh my god! Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of She's, She's gotta, gotta have, have it. it. Exclamation mark. mark. I think at some point we might have to stop trying to do that because I kind of feel like we're going to lose listeners. I think um, we're going to gain listeners. Okay. All right. 
<laughs> we can take a poll at some point and okay, find out. Okay, okay, we'll do that. And in today's episode, we are talking about Fleabag season two, episode four. Four. Ooh, nearing the end of what I exists. I know. Oh. All right, let's dive into to what we want. What? I have one this time. I can go ahead. Please. It's a, a bit of a, uh, just a set up to it but I've been feeling remarkably better which I'm really pleased about I've been waking up I'm gonna I feel like I should knock I'll just n- lightly knock my fake Christmas tree for wood yeah I've been waking up without pain and with good digestion in the morning so I just feel like this extra zest and a couple days into feeling zestier I was like I want to get a really terrific acting agent again but I want them to find me I remember back in the day when I was like I don't want to send out packages I want somehow mm. Some mm-hmm. like a person that's a right fit to just be like, oh my God, I want to rep you. Cause I feel like I'm ready. I feel like I'm mm-hmm. 10,000 times better than I was before. And I always worked a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's this new idea. And I don't want to, I don't want to mess around. I want like someone from great North or just someone that's just mm-hmm. really well set up. So that's my, what I want. All right. Well, let's put some good Christmas wish vibes out into the universe for you. <laughs> Including my Christmas cup your Christmas cup. I, as per usual, have not thought about this. So I will say, okay, here's what I want. I want some delicious salmon for dinner. Mm. And I was just saying to Lisa just now that uh, I tried to go and get some nice salmon from a store before meeting uh, online this evening. And as I was waiting, there was somebody inside who was not wearing a mask and was taking a sweet ass time walking around the store. And I just, I feel like I didn't realize I was at this emotional breaking point where I just feel the mask rage for people who are cavalierly not wearing masks. I understand not everyone can wear a mask. That's fine. This is not the first person who's just been cavalierly not wearing a mask that I've seen recently and I'm starting to lose my shit (laughs) because, you know, it's dark and the numbers are bad. And like, I just, I'm getting a little fatigued. I mean, I'm, you know, it's funny because at the same time, I'm kind of in a routine now. And I'm a single household and I've bubbled with some friends who live very close, Emma and Mark. And I go there for dinner and they come here for dinner. And it's creating this sense of normalcy in my life that is wonderful and comforting. I find that like I'm in a routine. So in general, I've been feeling pretty good because I have a routine. The vaccines are coming much sooner than I had expected. I have to say we are in the best timeline for vaccines and I am very grateful for that. And so I know I am not going to be getting this vaccine until the summer. Some people, the most vulnerable people will be getting the vaccine probably in January. And I think that that is amazing. Oh, I didn't actually know that. That's amazing. And so I've been feeling very optimistic. I had a very productive week. I'm very proud of myself. I, you know, submitted a bunch of academic things. So there I was standing outside the store, looking inside at this man waiting to go inside who was taking a sweet ass fucking time and feeling rage in my heart. And I thought, you know, I think I'll leave. (laughs) I think I'll leave and get my salmon somewhere else. So I still have to go get it after our recording. But I've realized how much I actually want the salmon because it did not make me just decide to do something else. I really still want it. May you find some delicious salmon with ease and no more unmasked folks. <laughs> yes, thank you, because I don't trust myself not to attack somebody. Uh-oh. Yeah. Shit's about to get real. On that note, shall we on to Fleabag? Fleabag. Yes. 
where shit is also getting real. Ooh, and you know, I thought I had watched this. I don't think I have, so it's been such a delightful surprise. Or I might have watched it on like a bad pain day when I wasn't mm. absorbing it. So it's a delightful new surprise for me. This, this episode, episode or the second season? I feel, I thought I watched the second season. This episode, I did not remember. I mean, I feel like I'd oh. remember this episode if I if I saw it, but there, there is a level of pain that I used to watch stuff through where no, I realized that nothing sort of made an imprint, if that makes sense. So it might've been in front of me, but this watch was the first time I was like, oh my God, <laughs> she, yeah, kissed a priest. She kissed him. So anyway. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. right off the yeah. bat. But I will say, just as my sort of thought with this episode, it does an exquisite job of being extraordinarily intimate, and I have mm -hmm. examples as we will go, mm -hmm. as well as being extraordinarily epic at the same time, based on the themes and the music score again, especially at the end. So this is my favorite kind of storytelling. It's kind of still quirky and funny and authentic in a very intense way. And then with the like literally religious themes and huge kind of plot points that we will talk about. But yeah, so that's like really yeah. remarkable. And like, I don't know if this is related to what you're going to say, because I want to hear about this, but I was thinking, because I think the first episode of the season of, of this flea bag season that we recorded, I mentioned that this season is about faith, but it's also about like the reckoning with her guilt. Right. And it's about like her finding a way to confess that. And so there is something that is kind of like, yeah, like there's like this sort of like drums in the background, Catholicism, like epic kind of high stakes intensity starting to build here. And we also have a lot of moments of like way more moments of flashbacks. I think we see way more moments of boo and we suddenly see the flashbacks to her mother's funeral and a bunch of the pieces start to come together. And then I would say also, maybe not way more, but more connection, like real connection with the priest that I remembered and that I expected. Like it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's actually epic, the connection that she's got there as well. Um, Can you say more what you mean by epic? We, we touched on this in the last episode because I think it's at the last one um, that we talked about where she goes away to chat to the audience, like to come and have the moment with us. And he said, where did you go? And then in this one, he's like, where did you go? No, no. And he said, you just said this. So it's like he literally got what seems like the most intimate possible in this story. He got into her mind to us. Mm -hmm. So that seems like more intimate than being in her vagina, like by a lot. <laughs> and then she was so like, sort of like, I guess, uh, taken by it. Mm -hmm. um, and then he stayed there. And you see also by that point, like he's in distress. But I guess the true connection the two of them had is what, yeah, why I use the word epic? Because I feel mm -hmm. like it's so intimate and mm -hmm. epic. And when, then she, when he is in her head, she seems like, like she looks at us again, like, oh my goodness, what's going mm -hmm. on here? But mm -hmm. she stays too. Cause you know, she's often, I mean, she did run from him. Like there's a, there's a run yeah. and come back. But in that, in some moments she stayed in a surprising way. If that'll yeah. Because I think, yeah, I think you're onto something there because she really, there's this real tension in her between two opposing things, which is she is terrified of herself right and the thing that she did and anyone finding out about it and like she has no idea how to face that so she's constantly trying to block it out and yet I think she does desperately want that level of intimacy and like those two 
like opposite forces are kind of equally strong in this episode in a really interesting way. And then they show that well. And then in the storytelling, again, with that epic religious music and him like running off with his religious gown all befuffled, it also looked epic and just like a straight up, like if you just saw those moments, that's like, you're like some bishop is losing his faith in God. Like it had just these epic sort of images, I guess, as well. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, that just worked really well. And actually that same epic... For, better, for lack of a better word, but I think that's reasonable in terms of this kind of storytelling, epic, epic slash intimate. Um, another show that we might consider talking about in future, I just saw Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You, and it has, <gasps> it is this, it has like, I feel like the way that B.B. Waller-Bridge is that young storyteller that's blowing minds, I feel like Michaela Cole is. And also it has the same epic intimacy epic intimate put together in this extraordinary way so not at all the same they're two like mag magnificent magnificent geniuses in different ways but those two hits are both in both of them my friend veronica in new york city has recently recommended i may destroy you to me and or has made me promise to talk to her as soon as i've watched it so i might also see if she wants to come on and talk about That's that show with thinking, us yeah, yeah. it's dark and it's amazing it's and yeah it's it's intense but quite something and i'd love to chat about it because i was so taken and then the, the last episode left me with some questions which is the best place mm -hmm. where you want to like get into mm -hmm. that anyway, so that mm -hmm. was an aside but yeah i just realized as i was talking the epic and intimate combo in real authentic ways not just hitting them but really being in them i feel like both of those film both of those filmmakers mm -hmm. have really remarkably mm-hmm I mean, yeah, the, the thing about this episode is that it does seem like there are lots of little moments, but it seems sort of more thematically connected throughout than maybe other episodes have been. Because I really do feel like it is about their the arc of their relationship and the ways in which they're like running from and running towards each other. Like they're both doing it, right? Because he also, like he's trying to be your friend and he's dancing around this intimacy and he's obviously very attracted to her, but kind of pretending that he's like strong enough to resist it, you know? And then she's she's in the church praying and runs into him shit-faced. And he's obviously like not having a great evening. Uh, just, I, yeah, like the way he's trying to pull her out of himself, but he's also in a in a way trying to kind of remain the like fatherly figure like that priest figure and she kind of keeps trying to get him out of that and he really resists that too just like the way she resists being you know when he's questioning her in the cafe about her mother and about boo well they really seem like poetic mirrors of each other mm -hmm. and actually yeah the first note i have here is like one of the things you were saying about how it's literally it's almost like a like a high school, like when you like each other, like just trying to spend time together. Cause there's a yes. shot of him trying on his vestments and he's like, what about this one? <laughs> yes. um, and then that's, I wrote here, he heard her. And that's when she said, well, you said this. No, he said, you said this. And she said, no, I didn't. And that's like, that's when I was like, that's that most intimate moment. So she's, he's like, yeah, saying, should I get this one? Should I get mm -hmm. that one? Almost a cliche of wanting to spend time together. We were like, hey, I just need some eye on a vestment. Uh, can you come along? <laughs> and I do really feel like they are actually m complete mirrors of each other with what mm -hmm. they want and how they're kind of going about it. And almost like the style of their souls seems like similar if that makes sense same shape and that you know that comes through a little bit even when she's in the confessional right I was thinking the thing that one of the things that struck me and that I don't have clear thoughts about uh yet because I am not a person who is like uh religious or like I've in 
I have very recently been more and more interested in faith as like an experience and in as a belief system more kind of philosophically and theoretically than actually like being in that myself necessarily and if I were to be it wouldn't probably be Catholicism despite that being how I was raised I was really interested in her confession where the moment she gets really real is when she says I just want someone to tell me what to do which is kind of what like like rigid systems like the catholic church do right and that's kind of got to be some of the reason that he's in there too like they both have that desire for the structure and for rules because they're both the kind of people who are really bad at that at the same time right like they do step out of it like he they both have a kind of a reverence he isn't a kind of typical priest despite the fact that he he isn't a bad person but he isn't somebody who always plays by the rules. I think that is actually quite difficult for him. And yet they're both drawn to that as a desire they have mm-hmm. to just not have to constantly choose. Right. And I, I've been thinking about this recently from various podcasts I've been listening to, and also just my own thoughts about the pandemic and, and anxiety um, and just the general anxiety. I think a lot of people feel totally aside from the pandemic, which is that there's a, there's a huge amount of anxiety that arises from no limits, from having the freedom to just make whatever choice you want. It's kind of like too much for a lot of people. And it's actually just nicer sometimes. Like this is, it's part of like, this is kind of a dumb example, but this is part of the reason I kind of have a uniform. Like I don't want to have to make real complicated choices about what I wear every day because I want to save that energy for other choices. And that also reminded me just for a little while I was involved in the S&M community and just what you said is often what a lot of submissives will say. Like they just, the choice of everything is too much and they literally just want someone to tell them what to do. So I'd never kind of put that together Mm -hmm. before in the same, in that same place of just helping to have a sort of a, a tighter container on things when everything feels like too much essentially. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's kind of a competing impulse in human beings, right? Because we do genuinely want autonomy. Like you don't really want somebody telling you to do stuff you don't want to do, but also choosing for yourself all the time is exhausting. My next note here was just again, back to Boo. We've sort of said it again, how little she is in the show, but how much impact. I just love her so much and the little bits you see her heart and stuff. And, but I love the scene when, when Fleabag's mother had, uh, passed and she said I don't know where to put the love for my mother and she said I'll take it it's glorious yes. or whatever I'll take it and that was just such a beautiful friendship scene with a different flavor not the same kind of flavor but just yeah really pure and great mm-hmm. and so heartbreaking too because of the way things turned out things turned out and the the guilt she has over betraying this person oh man there was another moment of booze compassion that was at the funeral when fleabags joking about how um their future stepmother was obviously looking to bang their father and her sister what's her sister's name again claire claire is like god why do you have to assume the worst of everyone at every moment and then she says the same thing to boo and she's like well she's not made of wood like just boo's compassion for the stepmother character whereas it's like well you know she's a human being she's gonna have these like slightly inappropriate impulses maybe right like that's what human beings are like and boo just like has so much acceptance and compassion for that just like every time we see her yeah just reminded of that eraser moment again yeah she has exceptional compassion where 
where I think the general populace doesn't necessarily have it as well. And like, there's a kind of like contrast in the father, right? When you see Fleabag and, and her father sitting on the bed at the funeral and the father saying, your mother just always knew how to be fun and how to be kind. Be kind. And I'm no. just guessing. And it's so honest and it's so self-aware for a character who is bad at it. Like he's aware he's bad at it. He doesn't know how to express himself. He doesn't know how to be fun. And it sort of reminds me, you know, also of Claire's feelings toward Fleabag where a lot of, I think Claire's frustration stems out of the fact that a certain kind of charm just comes very easily to Fleabag. Yeah. And it's true, she is, I, I, yeah, like, I mean, I'd rather be with the both of them, but I'd rather be with Fleabag on the whole yeah. than with Claire for very long. And that moment, actually, I had a note with, with Fleabag and her dad, that was so, they, they did, it was refreshing to see that they did have, I mean, you saw flashes of it, but this was good to see a bit more, yeah. a bit more connection with them. But it was surprising, remember, that he said about uh, the stepmom, oh, she's annoying, isn't she? So that was just, yeah. I was like, oh, so she, so he basically sort of sits here in his real feeling about her, and then I guess her gentle sexy bullying <laughs> the gentle sexy bullying of olivia coleman got him to this place remember he basically rejected fleabag and said you, you should go like you know you're she's here now so it's interesting how far she traveled on well, that i and i wonder also if it has something to do with i mean he obviously loved her fleabag's mother but he says he also said she's very she always just knew how to be fun and kind and i didn't like that about her because yeah. it like it made me like he doesn't say this but it makes him feel inferior oh that and yeah i sort of wonder if going for that olivia coleman character makes is him not, the, not feel so bad yeah, yeah that makes sense yeah oh i just looked down at my notes i actually don't remember this moment now but i just watched it earlier but it said i, I worry i'm only in it for the outfits <laughs> i'm guessing that was the priest <laughs> Yes. Um, but there's just again in this in this like really epic <laughs> deep episode there's still these lines like that that are so funny which which also just reminds me of Fleabag's what is it her confession at the Quaker meeting where she says which is also another kind of confession right yeah where she says I, I'm I fear I might not be a feminist if I had bigger tits <laughs> it's like there's something a little true about it but it's also kind of a joke it's like because it's it's not a real you know, it's not like as contrasted with the confession at the end of the episode, which is like real and a kind of outpouring. It's just her kind of making a, a joke. It's coming from, I think, a true place, but. I agree. I think it's a true impulse, but still in the jokey realm and much safer, like putting your toe in mm -hmm. and still standing back and laughing. I've actually always been fascinated by Quaker meetings because Kate, my best friend, uh, old high school best friend, who I'm hoping mm -hmm. will actually be on the pod at some yes. point soon. Yes, please be on the pod, Kate. Please be on the pod, Kate. Her family grew up Quaker and of all the different religions and uh, spiritual practices I had ever heard of, that one I was just like sitting in a room until you have something to say. Like I was like, it just sounded very made sense to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and also Judaism. I had an agent who was converting to Judaism to get married to somebody while I was, it was when I was modeling. And the stuff she told me about Judaism in terms of that was sort of all about like connection and connection to your past, connection to your family and like community and all that stuff also mm -hmm. seemed like really cool to me. So this, that was just an aside, but uh, it was interesting to see a Quaker meeting and also that a Catholic, it makes sense that a Catholic priest might be interested to just check out that other kind of vibe and that they ended up there. I mean, I think that there is something interesting about this, the choice that they make in the second season to bring in a priest as somebody who's a kind of catalyst 
for her emotional journey. Because, you know, I, I do think that there isn't really a replacement for religion in modern society. There's like self-help stuff and there was like yoga, but that there's a superficiality to that and a kind of diversity and kind of like it's sort of spread out and it's very individualistic, I guess. Um, it's It's aimed in a very individualistic way that I think has left a kind of gulf in people's lives. There's a, there's a, there's a role that he's serving for her that isn't necessarily about like believing in these Christian doctrines, but is actually an emotional role that he's like playing for her that she just doesn't have in anywhere else in her life. And that like, I, I don't know, like Boo might've been more a version of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And do you know what else I wanted to like, just to, to compare the therapist with him as a priest? You know, like just the way that he is so real and he's so reverent and he's so humble, like he's so genuinely humble. Like there's this thing about going to therapy where it can feel, a lot of people get defensive in therapy. This has happened to me a few times, like because you think your therapist is sitting there in judgment of you, especially the kind of therapy where therapists aren't like sharing a lot about themselves because the point is to to see what kinds of things you're projecting onto them. And so they they be, they are very impersonal in a lot of ways. And it, it, it still isn't the same thing as like this priest character or at least the one in Fleabag because he's like a real on the ground human being who is like really flawed, right? Like he smokes and he swears and he like, <laughs> and he like spills things. And then at the very end, what was interesting to me was just the way it ended and just like how he told her to get on the ground and then he got on the ground with her her yeah and it sort of seemed to kind of evoke that fact that they're both just kind of like on the ground together yeah and and that they're that there's a an equality or a kind of balance there definitely yeah and that does come from i feel like because he makes himself vulnerable in the moment mm -hmm. completely which does seem like the most respectful and humble way to be there for someone essentially mm -hmm. and then you know whatever the door bangs it, which calls back the painting falling off the wall in one of the earlier episodes and he like looks really freaked out and then he runs away and actually that's my last note of just the and the is it the 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 rhythm of the very last few beats is just again epic i would say so i've got here some music so it's already that in that epic music when they're kissing i think this is actually just after that what you just said so he said get on your knees she gets on her knees he goes down they kiss they kind of stand up and make out and then it's passionate kiss and then silence like beat 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 and then he's all disheveled he turns around and walks away and then more religious music but i was like that's like the epic beats of like the end of some feature film oh yeah just really good filmic storytelling but just yeah. like i guess it felt it it, it it showed me the weight of what that meant for him in those holding of the beats and normally you know normally in a silence fleabag's got ten thousand snide things to say and this is a beat where she was just completely holding with him yeah yeah. What's going to happen next? I yeah. don't remember, so I'm so I, excited. Because <laughs> so usually it's Fleabag running away from him, and this time it was him running away from her, and it's just, so we'll see. We'll True. see how that, we'll see how that how resolves that itself. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting. It's true. It is right. He did run away. Like he made the choice to leave, but it literally almost seemed like instead of him running from her, it was just like, it was just yeah. too much. And he's kind of like, yeah. oh, I think that was that beat beat. And then he's like, almost like stumbled off. So I'm now curious for our next mm -hmm. one to, um, mm -hmm. to remember what, what his reaction is after he's got a bit of time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, mirror to yeah. Fleabag in a Catholic priest. Who would have thought? Yeah. Who thought? Well, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, apparently, in that excellent mind. Now it's time for you to get your salmon. It's time for me to get my salmon. And now that we've said it, we've got, we've got to get, get it. it. Woot! Woot! So you hear that excellent agent? You've got to come find me now. Oh, Melody just woke up. To my clap. There she is. Hi. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to wake you up, little banana girl.